Welcome to Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast offering news, analysis and commentary. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. This is episode 168, and it's 23rd of October, 2021. And how has your week in Star Wars been, Rachel? Pretty good. Um, I have been revisiting some of the Visions episodes so that we can talk about them in this episode. And I've been falling in love with them all over again, which is always a nice (laughs) feeling because Visions is awesome and you should watch it if you haven't already. But I'm sure you have because you've been making the good choice to listen to us and we've been talking about nothing but Visions for the last few weeks. (laughs) Yeah, I can't imagine our conversations making much sense if you haven't seen Visions. So yeah, hopefully that's not a problem. Um, Yeah, and I've also been reading Ronan which is a novel that ties into Star Wars Visions um, and that was very kindly sent to me by the publisher here in the UK. Um, And yeah, I'm enjoying that so far. Um, Like, I have big questions about where things are going and yeah, I think a lot about my final feelings about the book will depend on the payoff to a lot of things because I I can't talk about it explicitly without spoiling it and I don't want to do that right now. But suffice to say, it makes a very bold storytelling choice early on relative to the events in the short it's based on, which is the jewel from Star Wars Visions, that first episode. And yeah, I'm still not sure how I feel about that, basically. So yeah, I'm waiting to see how it's tied up and how like that thread is explained. Um, and I'm going to stop talking because I realise <laughs> there's no point in exploring this without going into details. So yeah, how about you, Kirsty? That does sound like it could make for an interesting discussion, though, once we've both read it. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. exactly. And I think there will be a lot to say, you know, and I think regardless of my ultimate feelings on something, I'd rather have something that goes big, you know, and makes like strong choices rather than something that just like meanders along and doesn't do anything remotely interesting, you know, because this book is definitely aiming for interesting ideas and like interesting choices. So, yeah, I think it'll make for an interesting discussion. Hmm. Yeah, like you, I've been re-watching some Visions episodes as well. It's interesting watching them again and kind of a bit later. When they first came out, obviously, we were all so excited for new Star Wars. There was a, a bit of hype. Yeah. But it's nice to revisit them a few weeks later and realize that they're still just as good and maybe you enjoy them even more. Yeah. Now you're kind of getting familiar with those settings and characters and stuff um, and the different animation styles. And I feel like my favorite is always in flux. Oh, you know, nice. kind of depending on which I'm watching. Or um, I know I said last time I was like, "Wow, these middle ones are really strong. These are definitely my favorite." And then I was watching these ones last night. That's seven, eight, and nine. And I was like, "Well, these are all really good too." Yeah. <laughs> like it ends on a really strong note as well. So I just don't think there's much. I can't really identify a weak link. Yeah. And that's great, isn't it? Like when yeah. yeah, you really struggle with that question because yeah, they're all just really good. Yeah, so it's it's a, it's a joy. Um, yeah, really enjoying visions, and I I hope eventually we get more of them. I'm being greedy here, I know, but oh god, yeah, I would love it. Like, just give me like twenty episodes in season two of Visions, please. <laughs> just keep it coming, more and more, <laughs> increase it each time. <laughs> it does feel greedy because they must just take so long to work on these yeah you know animation you have to work so far in advance obviously before we finally see it um but who knows they could be they could be in discussions now they've seen the positive response to them so yeah no 100 yeah. percent. and i think again like i need to stop talking about visions now so there is some other stuff we need to talk about beforehand <laughs> but just quickly i think one of the greatest things about it is because each short or at least most of the shorts are made by different studios 
it means there's no sense of like resources being spread thin you know Mm -hmm. like you might get with another kind of show because each studio is really able to dedicate everything it has to that one short and make it really really good so that means you have a really high standard across the board there isn't any sense of like any episode being filler or anything like that and I hate that word you know often filler is really misapplied but I think you know what I mean you know in terms of like every studio bringing the A game and making like something that's really strong on its own terms yeah each one is the story that they wanted to tell right because they started from scratch developed that corner of the Star Wars galaxy like yeah it's it's unique in that sense yep 100% Um, Yeah, I did just quickly, before we got into the news section, want to talk a little bit about the other big space movie that's on the block right now, (laughs) which is a little film called June um, that we have both seen. Um, So yeah, Kirsty, could you just share your brief, non-spoilery thoughts on June? Because yeah, I'm very curious to hear what you think. Well, first off, I should say I haven't read the book, Mm -hmm. but I now plan to, which should say something because it seems like a bit of an investment um i've seen the lynch version once about 13 years ago so i don't have a great memory of it but um yeah i'm aware of its general place in pop culture and the general thoughts around that movie <laughs> um sure. i did enjoy this one i really enjoyed it i thought it was stunning and i thought the very strong performances and just kind of interesting to see where it left off and think about whether we're going to get a sequel and how I, I do want to know where the story's going to go. Yeah, the thing is, it's it's generating a lot of interesting responses and I've been reading a lot of different reactions and there's very little that I'm like finding myself disagreeing with, even if they're negative and the person didn't enjoy it. I can see their point of view. I can see why people wouldn't like the movie yeah so there's a lot of layers here i think it's it's going to be an interesting one for people to kind of chew over collectively yeah i think it's so worth seeing it's a really like bold almost like paradigm shift in sci-fi movie in a lot of ways in terms of yeah just the sheer scope and imagination that are on display in june it's just really extraordinary um because yeah you know like obviously the setting of a desert planet thanks to star wars that's extremely familiar like almost old hat imagery at this point but like denis villeneuve he does an incredible job of really bringing that to life and making it feel fresh again um and yeah just like the designs like of the ships for example are just so cool (laughs) you know (laughs) anyone who loves a good spaceship is going to be salivating over this movie they're just really beautifully designed and they feel so plausible and stuff you know you feel like you could go to that world and ride on one of those spaceships which is a really cool feeling um and i think i like even more than all the visual splendor you know and there's a lot of visual splendor i really appreciated the clarity of the storytelling because my my main problem with david lynch's dune is is almost incomprehensible you know in terms of the storytelling in that movie it's so muddled and you have all these different like royal houses trying to like backstab and betray each other and all these like characters of all these complicated interrelationships and you're kind of baffled by it all basically none of it makes sense Whereas in this new June, everything makes sense. It's so clear and like well articulated. That really impressed me. Did you find that too, Kirsty? That was really easy to follow. Yes, I'm not super aware of the world 
and like the political situations and everything so that's one reason why i do want to read the book now yeah but it did have this sense of being kind of restrained and like disciplined about what it it didn't want to overwhelm you with all that stuff yeah i will say that you know there are obviously extremely valid points being made about the lack of middle eastern actors in the story like it, i just feel like there's there's a complicated discussion going on right now about like the cast in general is diverse but then you have questions about how certain characters are being treated versus others yeah no 100% like i'm not the best educated person on this topic but there's definite criticism to be laid against the film in terms of the fact that it's adapting a story that was written in the 60s that very consciously drew upon like elements of like middle eastern culture and islam you know in terms of like the language it used and some of the concepts it was dealing with and then not actually casting any people of like a middle eastern background um which yeah is definitely a pretty glaring omission i think and i do think those criticisms are absolutely valid and yet there's also more sophisticated conversations to be had about how like the people of color in the cast are being used and what's happening to those characters and there's obviously concerns about the whole potential white savior aspect with the role that paul plays in the story relative to the fremen and that's a really complicated conversation to have because it kind of depends on the scope of whether you're just talking about this story or the wider world of dune which gets incredibly yeah just wow yeah it's a big topic yeah it feels tricky at the moment because we only have this part one and there's no promise that they'll continue the story so within the context of this movie i feel like those white savior accusations are valid like it's definitely set up as that's like the the thing that they're going with but as i understand it and again i don't know the rest of the story for sure but it does seem like it's so on the nose at this point that they're going to do something with that yeah um that there was the way that they like set up the house of treaties like it just seems to be like that's not really where the story's going to go in terms of paul being a super admirable heroic character yeah but i could be wrong i think denny has spoken about wanting to make like a grown-ups star wars in the sense that you know obviously it's taking place in space it's a science fiction story but it's also dealing with perhaps more mature themes and ideas you know because star wars is ultimately very simplistic good versus evil and i'm not saying there isn't nuance in star wars obviously is otherwise we wouldn't have like 100 plus episodes of a podcast talking about it but you know it is operating at a more basic level i think than something like june you know where there's lots and lots of complexity and muddiness to that world and those characters um in a way that perhaps aren't with the star wars ones and yeah i i fully trust that director to do interesting things of it you know he's the last person who's going to be reductive about what he's dealing with when it comes to the world of june so i do have faith but yeah it 100 percent depends on whether this second part of june gets greenlit and also if there's another june film after that because yeah I, i'm gonna shut up but there's just reasons to think that it would need three films in total to tell that like really rich nuanced story like with the right detail you know and yeah i'm just gonna leave it there yeah i mean even just just focusing on the character relationships that this movie was able to explore obviously you get an awful lot of paul and his mother yes um and then 
it's kind of building to him meeting Chani at the end, right? Yeah. But uh, from the marketing, I was kind of under the assumption that Chani was going to be a main character. Yes. And she was central in that, like, his visions of her and everything were, like, driving the narrative. She was just much more of a minor character in terms of, like, her physically being there than I thought. Um, Which will be fine if there's a sequel because I'm you know now they're together I feel like she's going to play a much more central part to the story but um yeah it's just not what I, what I expected yeah no it definitely subverted expectations in a perhaps not so happy way um just res- respect to Charney I do think it's a really good movie but yeah but I I understand why they made that choice because obviously Zendaya is a huge movie star you know she has a huge fan base and people obviously want to see her in the movie yeah, I hope people don't feel let down if they watched it because of her. Yeah, <laughs> you know <laughs> no, exactly. I think that's kind of where I find it a bit morally murky, perhaps that yeah. yeah, she was featured so prominently, and then in the movie maybe not so much. But yeah, I do really like what they've set up with Paul and Charney, and yeah, you know, I'm a Raylo. I'm always a sucker for predestined romance, having visions of each other. You know, Mwah. that's just my jam. So, yeah, I'm really curious to see how that relationship develops in the next film, which I'm keeping things and toes crossed that we actually get. So Me yeah, too. And because crossed. it's Dune and not Star Wars, I do think it's going to be quite nuanced and, and interesting to see how all of that is received. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I'm also excited for like casting for the next one because hopefully we'll get to meet Princess Irulan, who was played by Virginia Madsen in the 1980s. And... Yeah, if it's anything like the David Lynch Dune, she's going to have amazing dresses. And I'm a total fan of luxurious couture in space. So, yeah, I want that to happen. So I, I love the Fremen, but they're not like the most fashionable people. You know, the shell suits look great. They're great designs, but you're not going to wear them on a catwalk, are you? So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was a weird about turn, but you know what I mean, Kirsty. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm curious to just keep reading reactions and reviews of this movie because like i said before i enjoyed it but i'm also completely um i'm just really interested in in seeing why people didn't because it's not like i disagree with them necessarily it just it happened to work for me and it might not work for other people yeah it's a very mature perspective to have kirsty some people cannot tolerate other people having different opinions (laughs) from them so well done You've ascended to that higher plane oh of humanity. <laughs> Maybe when it comes to some things, depending on my emotional investment. <laughs> Although I do feel, you know, I think you were saying you didn't feel like super emotionally invested in the characters because yeah. they are quite understated performances, aren't they? And there's a lot of like internal journeying going on. But I do think that was done pretty well. Like, I, I just I, f- I feel like the actors did a good job in conveying that and and maybe just like the reality being that not all of that journey is going to be on display all the time for the audience so there is this like ambiguity and kind of distance from the characters but it seemed by design and I, I thought it worked yeah no 100% like it's kind of like where I both agree with you and I don't which I know sounds <laughs> like well that's having your cake and eating it too isn't it um but I think for me, it's kind of, I fully understand that a big part of it, mostly for me, this is a problem with Paul. Um, And with that specific character, part of the character is that he's very stoic, very capable, very competent and like mature beyond his years. You know, that's just who Paul is. So 
that's fully reflected in the movie you know and I think Timothy Chalamet does a great job in that part you know he's like charismatic and he does bring like vulnerability to it and like humanity you know there are these nice little like glimmers of warmth in him but fundamentally that character is like quite a cold and and aloof character you know and, and that's kind of important you know he's very much meant to be that way but it just also meant that for me personally I couldn't really like attach strongly to that character so even though I feel like they made all the right choices in terms of what the story is and what the character is it just didn't hit me like where other characters have or at least where other heroes in like sci-fi sagas that happen to have sand planets in them have (laughs) well yeah it's very different yeah yeah I was saying the other day I almost wonder if people were kind of expecting a riff on Luke Skywalker which Paul is definitely not yeah, no, I, like, I see, like, Paul compared to Luke all the time. What? Yeah, I do, honestly. And it's like, yeah, I, I kind of, like, understand what they mean in terms of they both have, like, a hero's journey of a sort, and they're both heavily involved with sand planets, but really, is there anything similar between them beyond that? I, I struggle to think of two more dissimilar characters, to be honest, like, in terms of heroes. <laughs> you know, like, Luke is just such, like, a dweeb. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. Sorry, it's not like I hate Luke. I don't hate Luke. But. Well, just just looking at how they've been raised and like what they understand their purpose in life to be. Like Paul's been obviously raised in this environment by these two parents to be that stoic, capable person who understands that he's going to have all these responsibilities someday. Yeah. Luke's the opposite. He was just on a farm, doesn't know anything about his parents, dreams of a bigger life, but you know, it's totally different. Yeah, probably destined to become a moisture farmer. <laughs> <laughs> Paul never once thought he was going to become a moisture farmer, that's for sure. <laughs> I just thought there were, a, you know, again, it wasn't like every single moment, but there were these moments where you did see this vulnerability kind of come through and this uncertainty, especially I thought at the end when he was like meeting Charney and stuff. It was just like, I don't know. I I need to watch it again to kind of get my opinions a bit firmer, but... I liked it. Yeah. No, and I did also like it. Like, definitely don't take me not being particularly taken by that character as not liking it. It's just, I think right now there's kind of like a line between really, like, passionately investing in something and really admiring it. And at Mm. the moment, I'm more on the admire side of the spectrum. But I also really want to see it again. And in particular, I want to see it on a really great quality screen in the cinema because I think that will make all the difference you know in terms of how that experience is because yeah I was also pretty tired when I watched it before it's really long and I did like sit through the whole thing and enjoy that experience but I I was also really like tired and aware that I was tired and it means you can't quite get swept away by it as you might want to so yeah I want to watch it again and it can't come soon enough so yeah it's also making me want to rewatch um the new Blade Runner because obviously the same director is behind it but in a way the central performance kind of reminded me of Ryan Gosling's performance in that movie oh interesting very understated and quiet and an emphasis on the internal despite being in the middle of a jam-packed action movie Mm. like I just I I appreciate that contrast but I I also get why it wouldn't work for everyone I'm yeah. trying to be very diplomatic here. Yeah, no, no, I know what you mean. And it's just it, the reason I'm like reacting like I am is because for me, Blade Runner 2049, I felt so much more emotionally invested in that movie. 
and well, I f- it's also a, more of a complete story yeah like, this is just part one no that's true and i think with blade runner 2049 i think again no spoilers for that movie but it just has such wonderful catharsis at the end you know just ends in the most beautiful way possible for me you know that i just come away with from that movie just feeling like elevated to another plane of existence and i know that sounds like ridiculously like hyperbolic it's a great movie yeah i I just love it it is also one and i I guess i'm sensing a pattern with this director's films that like i really admire them but i also get why they wouldn't work for other people sure and i think yeah blade runner 2049 obviously didn't do great at the box office but even like in a in a critical sense i just feel like some people it just didn't work for them and um yeah i i can get it even though it's one of my favorite movies of recent years at least blockbuster wise yeah to quote my dad's review i have no idea what just happened (laughs) that's literally what my dad said when i asked him what he thought about it (laughs) he said he thought he looked great and he had a good good enough time but he just couldn't follow the plot at all bless him um, when I went to see it, there was a guy who just started snoring really loudly, oh, no. <laughs> which I found hilarious. And I got oh god, I would have been furious! Like I, I have no was... tolerance for that. Um, okay, but yeah, we will wrap up our June chat there. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, and yep, to move in, we have a very brief news section this time because the truth is, not much has happened in the world of Star Wars apart from us really enjoying Visions, which is obviously the old hat at this point, but whatever because it's great and we're still enjoying it um but yeah in terms of news the first thing we have to discuss is the revelation which might be a bit strong word but whatever that hayden christensen is confirmed to be featured in the ahsoka series um could you read out what the hollywood reporter have to say about this kirsty hayden christensen will reprise the role of anakin skywalker also known as darth vader in Ahsoka, the latest Star Wars live-action series from Lucasfilm and Disney+, Plus, multiple sources tell The Hollywood Reporter. It is unclear how Skywalker, or for that matter Vader, will figure into Ahsoka, which, like The Mandalorian, is set five years after the events of Return of the Jedi, and therefore after Vader's death. The character of Tano was the Padawan of Skywalker, so the latter's appearance in the series could be in the form of flashbacks, but knowing a thing or two about how the Force works, sources also posit the theory that the character could be a Force ghost. Disney was as silent as Darth Maul when asked to comment. Production is due to begin in early 2022. <laughs> That's so cute. Production was as silent as Darth Maul. If, well, if they'd seen the Clone Wars, I don't know, he's not very silent there. Like, he talks yeah, all exactly. the time. He's pretty talkative, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is so cute i just kind of like love the whole way this is written so obviously it's written to be accessible to a non-stoles nerd audience so even after it says the character of tano was the padawan it has the word apprentice in brackets because it doesn't take for granted that you know what a padawan is and i think that's pretty cool because yeah it should be accessible for everyone um but yeah what do you make of this news Kirsty? do you have any particular feelings about it I'm not particularly surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm happy for Aiden. If, if, you know, he's having his Anakin renaissance. Um, it still doesn't change my view of... I, I, I don't think I'm going to watch this series. I don't think I have interest in it. Yeah. No, I think I'm coming from quite a similar place at the moment. Like, I'm just not in, really super invested in the Ahsoka character. And I know it's vaguely sacrilegious, and I, I'm really happy... For for everyone who this is going to make so delighted because I know Ahsoka is an extremely popular character 
and I'm glad those people are going to get this you know so it's going to be great for them obviously um but yeah it's just not a character that particularly interested me and even seeing her in the Mandalorian she didn't really do anything for me even there to be honest I wasn't really won over um so yeah I think it's a pass for me I think in terms of this specific piece of news with the casting of Hayden I think my stance is kind of you go Hayden go and get that Star Wars money you enjoy this like career renaissance you're having with returning to all the Star Wars stuff awesome good for you um but yeah it doesn't kind of like shift the barometer of my interest all that much you know I think the thing that's a bit of a bummer for me is that I am invested in Ahsoka, but as an animated character. Yeah. And live action Ahsoka just doesn't work for me. Um, And I don't, I just didn't connect with Rosario Dawson's portrayal in that episode. I know for a lot of people, that was their favorite episode of season two. It was one of my least favorite, to be honest. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I'm, I'm giving it a pass, but I know that others are excited about this. Um, I just think Ahsoka just works so much better as an animated character. I, I love her in the Clone Wars, um, but yeah, I, I know other people are, are looking forward to this a lot. Yeah, no, exactly. And I'm definitely not saying it's out of the question that I will watch the Clone Wars one day because obviously I know there's so much good stuff in the Clone Wars, and I'm sure I'd enjoy it if I got round to it. It's just. Yeah, the reason I haven't is purely because of the intimidation factor of looking at it and knowing there's seven seasons to get to. Um, so yeah, it, it will happen, I'm sure, at some point. I'm just not 100% sure when. Because cinemas in London need to stop showing so much crazy stuff they want to see. Well, you don't you don't want Star Wars to feel like homework. Yeah, you know? exactly. And that's the thing, you know, I want to do it when I feel really genuinely hyped and excited to do it. You know, I don't want to be like, oh, well, I guess it's Clone Wars time. <laughs> you know, I want to be like, you know what? I really want to watch the Clone Wars. So I'm going to get started with this. You know, so it's easier than ever, you know, having it on Disney Plus. So whenever I do have that feeling, it will be there. So that's nice to know. I thought it was going to be the Bad Batch that would persuade you. Because obviously that first arc of season seven is about how the Bad Batch come together and everything. Yeah, um, I did come close. That like that almost pushed <laughs> me close to the edge. But yeah, then I just got distracted by <laughs> something. <laughs> which is like right. the story of my life when it comes to Clone Wars. Which is fair, you know, a, a lot of Star Wars fans probably are able to watch everything and read everything Star Wars, but you, you know, you like other things too. Yeah, so. exactly. Just a busy media consumption life, so <laughs> yeah, lots going on. Um, okay, then the other piece of news that you want to talk about is they have put out a well, they, Star Wars have put out a dope poster to advertise the conclusion of phase one of the High Republic. Um, dope being my language, it was not referred to as dope by um, Star Wars themselves. Um, and basically it's like an image of like all the various like High Republic characters, and there are a lot of them. Um, like, And then in the middle there is Starlight Beacon on fire and falling oh dear and i think this confirms Kirsty that this might be the falling star of the title of the claudia gray novel that is coming i know we're both incredibly shocked by this <laughs> completely unbelievable. obviously not much of a spoiler if they're giving it that yeah it's really <laughs> this far ahead <laughs> they also have this very intriguing tagline saying who will survive when the light of the jedi goes dark conclusion mm. of phase one of star wars colon the high republic begins january 2022 um and yeah so they're clearly advertising that a lot of them are gonna die and you know what Kirsty, i think that's a good thing 
I think it might have to happen because there are just so many characters. Exactly. It's been one of my issues. And, I, you know, I have enjoyed The High Republic, but I think it's been a bit of a problem for me in terms of, like, how to get invested in the story because it just jumps all over the place from all of these different perspectives. Yeah. Um, I do think it needs to be honed down a little bit so I can properly get, like, character motivations and everything. Definitely. Like, I kind of have a bit more hope because on this poster in particular, there are three characters that are the biggest basically and those characters are Ava, Stellan and Elzar and I think they've always been pretty transparently the ones that are like the big three so to speak you know of this era of storytelling um, and then Bell and Keith Trannis I can't even remember who Keith Trannis is to be honest I do remember who Bell is Bell is important and featured quite prominently do you, can you remember who Keith is? I really don't know no I'm questioning myself now I'm gonna like google this like i can't imagine it's like a brand new character okay appearances okay so she's very prominent in the comic books apparently but yeah basically there's lots of characters like on this poster and there have been lots of characters introduced through the various forms of high republic media which includes like the adult novels the young adult novels the middle grade novels the comic books the audio dramas etc etc and on this poster it's even just like the hero characters you know like the jedi so like i can't even imagine what a poster would look like if you also had the nihil on it <laughs> you know <laughs> they'd run out of space i think um <laughs> so yeah i like, I know I sound like some sort of sociopath when I say, well, it's good if more of them die. I, I don't have, like, any animosity towards these characters, is what I'm trying to say. You know, I don't hate them. But there's just too many, you know? They really need to streamline things. So. Well, knowing Star Wars, they'll just bring them back. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, just at the very least, I just want them to, like, focus more firmly and consistently on, like, one, two, maximum three people. You know, I think that's like the most perspectives I can handle. And I have like enjoyed the previous High Republic books, but we've got like 10, 12, 14 perspectives, you know, loads and loads of different perspectives in any one book. And it's just too much for my tiny brain to comprehend for whatever reason. So, yeah, I, I just need them to like change tack. But we'll see if that actually happens because they're not writing these things to serve my needs. They're <laughs> writing them according to whatever blueprint they have. So we will see. Mm -hmm. um, oh and also just very quickly so I want to give him a shout out but Florian from Jedi Bibliotech on Twitter did a really really helpful guide to this poster labelling literally everyone on it which is honestly like a heroic effort you know because I can name the main people from this poster but you know when it comes to all the characters from the comics and stuff it's just like nope no way <laughs> so yeah yeah that is helpful yeah, I don't see? know a lot of these names. Yeah, no, exactly. A lot of them are very new to me. Um, and again, I'm sure a lot of that is probably because they're like many comic book people. Um, we do not read the comic books. But yeah, it was very useful. So thank you, Florian. We appreciate it. Even the characters who are in the books, I don't necessarily remember what they're supposed to look like. Yeah, no, exactly. I do think having visuals really helps with like orientating yourself. Um Okay, cool. But that means it's time for Star Wars Visions, which I'm very excited to get to. Um, so yeah, these are the final three episodes, which makes me very sad. It means it's the end of our Visions series. Doesn't mean we never have to mention them again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's still a happy moment because we can, we can still talk about them this time. And yeah, we can always come back to them if the need arises. 
Um, but yeah, the first episode we're going to talk about is The Elder by Studio Trigger. Um, and yeah, this one is really interesting because Studio Trigger also did The Twins, um, which is such a radically different episode in every single department that is quite extraordinary to think they were made by the same studio. And there's a making a featurette for each of these vision shorts on Disney Plus, I really recommend. And in this one, it was particularly interesting. So they said that was the whole point, basically, that they wanted to show their range. And mm. so they very consciously made the twins and the elder like extremely different types of story and in extremely different types of style um, just to show what they could do. And I think it works so well because, yeah, you would never guess it was by the same studio. And I think that's quite remarkable. Yeah, that's right. Because if you hadn't pointed that out, I wouldn't have made the connection at all. Nice. Like even as I was watching it, I was like, "Oh, Studio Trigger," but I hadn't reminded. I, I did not remember that they had also made the twins because it was a few weeks ago when we discussed that. Now, yeah, cool. Yeah, they are totally different. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm here to inform and educate. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's great. Um, but yeah, I really loved this one. I thought it was so good, and I think one of my main impressions of this one is I feel like you could insert this very seamlessly into like the star the main star wars canon you know like the mainstream of star wars canon and it would fit in really seamlessly because yeah i just feel like a lot of the other episodes they're very very bold and eccentric in some way you know that means they are recognizably star wars on their own terms but at the same time i kind of struggle to like reconcile them with everything else that goes on in star wars you know what i know about mm. the established canon whereas i feel like this one it it's just so cohesive and so seamless you could fit in and nothing would be out of place would you agree with that Kirsty? yeah right from the beginning of it just kind of watching that opening interaction between dan the padawan and his master that you know it just kind of slipped into that dynamic that we're all sort of familiar with that we've seen i guess recently in the high republic with a few of those relationships but obviously mostly in the prequels um yeah, it like like you say, it just felt like it lifted a lot from the Star Wars that we already know, but not in a bad way, because as part of this series, because as you said, everything else feels so bold and often heightened and like in a totally different corner of the galaxy, um, it stuck out for that reason. Um, yeah, just really worked. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I might have been a bit disappointed of all of the shorts that had this sort of tone, you know, and been kind of like as restrained as this one. But because this one is kind of like an outlier, like on the unique terms that Visions has, it feels really unique in a way, you know, it's kind of like paradoxical in that way. But yeah, I think it really worked very well. Yeah, I don't know why, but it, it was giving me like strong prequel era vibes, maybe because of like the philosophy that the Jedi were presenting as well. Like, you know, at the end, they're talking a lot about the Elder's age. Yeah and how that's that's the reason that he lost it just seemed quite um detached and very like yeah that's the circle of life like it could have almost been something that yoda himself said um yeah it was interesting yeah no because you have um like tajin who's the master and i kept thinking of him as qui-gon <laughs> yes exactly that was just <laughs> what i was about to go on to say um because yeah he's kind of like that model jedi isn't he just like qui-gon is in a lot of ways um, but I also kind of preferred him to Qui-Gon. He seemed a bit like looser and freer, you know, whereas I always found Qui-Gon a bit like legalistic and formal, kind of. 
Um, I feel like Tarjan would have fun, you know, like he might go to a pub and just like have like a late <laughs> night, you know, whereas like quite gone just wouldn't happen. Um, so yeah, like I really, really loved that character and I found the contrast between him and the elder, who's obviously like the villain character in this story, so well done because, you know, they both represent the Jedi and Sith philosophies to an extreme, basically, because you have the elder who is just like completely consumed by like a fear of death, you know, and a fear of his own increasing infirmity because he's getting so old. And Tajin, on the other hand, he's completely open to getting older and he accepts it and he understands it, you know, and he's very philosophical when speaking to Dan about it. You know, he's pleased to know that Dan is going to supersede him one day. Whereas obviously for a Sith, that's the ultimate fear, you know, that someone's going to better you. Um, Mm. And yeah, I just thought that was really beautifully explored in this story because, yeah, it's like a tale as old as time in Star Wars, you know, the ideas that have been dealt with a lot before. But I just felt like it was really, really well done and handled very elegantly. Yeah, I agree. And I I do just feel like, you know, including the kids and them winking back at Dan and stuff. I just feel like it played with that theme of age. Yes, I loved um, that. It's great. And yeah, the the contrast of the, the elders' philosophy and kind of outlook on things. Um, yeah, well handled because it, it could have felt, and I know this sounds silly, but it could have been almost ageist in the way that it was dealing with this stuff. Yeah. Um, that he wasn't kind of handling that gracefully and, and holding on in a way that obviously Tajin as a character was opposing, but I, I, do, I do feel like it was handled well. Yeah, no, definitely. And yeah, that point about like how Dan interacted with the kids, that was really nice because like you say, it kind of showed that I get the impression like Dan's a teenager, maybe, you know, he seems quite young still. Um, and yeah it just kind of really drove home that he's kind of like a child himself still and yeah it was just a little touch but I found it so nice and humanising and I just enjoyed all that stuff when Tajin and Dan are interacting with the villagers because I feel like even though it was a very brief story it still took the time to like humanise them you know and they're not just there to like aid the heroes and stuff the heroes have to kind of win them over first and I felt like that was a really nice little touch because, yeah, of course they're going to have their own culture and they're going to be a little bit unnerved by these strangers turning up, you know, and it's going to take a little bit of time to build trust and everything. And yeah, I appreciate that sort of little touch. It was really well done. I agree. I feel like that they've done a really good job of that. And not just in this one, but across most of the shorts, kind of humanizing and giving a sense of real depth and history to characters who are not on screen very long and you know all of these stories are relatively short really but they just they just manage to pack it all in in a way that feels natural and it doesn't feel overwhelming or crammed great pacing yeah it was really really well structured um and i also liked and this is kind of returning to that conversation we have before about the contrast between the elder and tajin um and I appreciated that when the elder died, like he is literally reduced to like rubble, you know, it almost looks mm. like he turns into coal, you yeah. know, and that's obviously really driving home the idea of him as like something made of matter, you know, he's returning to the physical world when he dies. Whereas the whole idea of the Jedi, when they pass on, it's about becoming one with the force and joining the spiritual realm. And again, we don't see a Jedi die in the story, you know, so that's not made super explicit. But I felt like that was what it was driving at, you know, the idea of like returning to the matter when you have that sort of philosophy, you know, and there's nothing transcendent beyond yourself when you're a Sith. And 
yeah, it was just really powerful, evocative imagery, and I felt it really drove at the core of a lot of the main things that make Star Wars Star Wars. So yeah, a really, really good story. Good point. I had not. Yeah, you articulated that really well. Oh, like thank I, you. I no, you're saying it. Like I did definitely notice how they handled the elder's death, but I hadn't thought about it in terms of like what that shows compared to the, the Jedi. Yeah, I think it was like my the wheels of my brain started turning in the way that you know when we used to do those super super deep analyses about Star Wars things, and I was like, yeah, I can do that about this. This feels so great, you know. And it was really nice to think about a Star Wars thing in those sorts of times again. So yeah, yeah. it was fun. Actually, I'm surprising myself by bringing this up in a positive light, but the Rise of Skywalker does something similar in terms of how it shows Ben's death versus the Emperor's, mm. where they really graphically show him basically melting his face off in like an Indiana Jones way. <laughs> yes. Whereas Ben fades away peacefully into the Force. You yeah. Know? No, definitely. They try to like make it as like pe- seem as elegant and like peaceful as possible. Um, which yeah, is very much about sending a certain message about the state he was in, like spiritually when he died. Um, mm. Yeah, I don't like talking about that. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> no, no, no. I wasn't sure whether to bring no, it up. No, 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 I was joking. The way, you, yeah, yeah, no. the way you made that point, it reminded me of that. I was like, oh yeah, there are other examples of that sort of contrast in Star Wars. Yeah, no, it could be an interesting discussion to be honest to look at how Star Wars deals with death, but yeah, that would take some preparation. So maybe not right now. Um, and yeah just like on a more prosaic point I really liked the dub of this one as in the English dub so I think in our previous discussions I've been a bit like oh listen to the Japanese version it's better but I think this might be my one exception and that I preferred the English dub of this episode to the Japanese one I just feel all the actors did a really really good job they brought a lot of like emotional weight to the characters with their performances and yeah I just thought it was very well done I thought David Harbour was a good choice. He really as, was. As a, that kind of Jedi. Yeah. No, and wasn't Tajin hot? You know, like that character design. <laughs> he looked so good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Way to lower the tone, Rachel. You're talking about the <laughs> spiritual realm and the physical realm, and now it's just about Tajin being hot. No, you got to throw in some hot Jedi every now and then. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, got to throw us a bone. Um, so, yeah, really, really good episode. I, I, I can't again I struggle to say which one is like my absolute favorite and we can talk about it a bit more at the end but this is definitely up there for me it's probably my top three so yeah really good it is really good I I don't know if I have the guts to rank them so definitively (laughs) as I said it is changing yeah we've been asked by someone to rank them and I don't know if I can guys yeah I'm not sure I'm ready to do that I'm sorry (laughs) because yeah, we'll there's see. something to enjoy in all of them yeah. you know and they're so different exactly i don't want to put anything last no, nothing <laughs> deserves to be last but i don't even know how to put something first because <laughs> yeah. you know there are some that i genuinely just think they're all really wonderful but they're just different kinds of stories so it depends what you're in the mood for yeah i'll put something first if i can also say that the ones i put in places two and three are also first <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> okay cool so the next episode we're going to talk about is Lop and Ocho by Gino Studio Um, and this is the one that is most iconic because its hero is a rabbit like alien Um, and I must say I kind of like prejudged this and I feel bad that I prejudged it because I saw that like the heroine was like a rabbit like creature 
and this probably means I have some sort of bias against rabbits. But I was kind of like, oh, that one looks a bit silly. I'm not going to prioritize that one. And I actually ended up watching this last, so I didn't quite watch them in order. Um, and then when I watched it, I was really surprised because it's really good. And it's like a genuinely well-told, well-characterized story, you know, with a lot of depth of emotion and like insight. And yeah, again, super, super impressed by this one. And it took me by surprise in the best way. What did you think about it, Kirsty? You know, I don't blame you for that first impression because I th- I think she's meant to be the same species as a character called Jackson from the comics. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Who also shows up in one of the Lando stories in the Empire book from a certain point of view. Right. Um, and he is really goofy. So <laughs> yeah. I can forgive you for that. Obviously, Lop's a very different kind of character. Um, yeah, really, really loved this one it seemed like the one that kind of embodied most succinctly and and centrally the theme of found family in star wars um with lot being embraced and rejected by characters based on where they are at themselves um yeah so it had that simplicity to it and it felt like a very like intimate family focused story but obviously it's set against this political backdrop which we're already familiar with that just kind of helped contextualize it and because of that it you can't help but draw comparisons like b- between the skywalkers and and this family and, and other characters that we've known throughout the saga to kind of remove themselves from family situations and stuff um so i guess similar to the elder it didn't feel like too much of a departure from what we know of star wars you know i guess that's the beauty of visions that it's like it's giving kind of a unique twist to the themes and narratives that we're already familiar with but yeah did, did a really good job yeah no, it was really well executed and i think one of my main favorite points about this one is that it was a story about two sisters which is so unusual for star wars i think off the top of my head in terms of like moving visual media so not including the comics because I don't know it's just the what Tico's, they've done isn't it? yeah exactly I can only think of the Tico sisters off the top of my head um so yeah having like a really central sister dynamic in the story is something I really appreciated um especially because it's so interesting oh I guess we've got the sisters in the Clone Wars yes um, no that's right and of course I wouldn't be able to speak to that yeah they showed up in the Bad Batch but yeah not in the same way yeah and I guess they're not really like the lead characters, are they, in those episodes? No. They're important, but yeah, they're not central. And yeah, like here, it obviously starts out when the two girls are children. And you see Ocho like actually be the one who invites Lop into their family. You know, she has to yeah. kind of like win over her father and be like, no, but she can come with us. We have plenty of resources. We can support her, blah, blah, blah. And then later on, you see that evolution in Ocho and how she comes to you know obviously see the benefits of the empire inside with them and then you see this increasing like resentment towards Lop and I particularly liked there's a moment where you know Lop arrives and confronts her using the family lightsaber that's been passed down across the generations and Ocho almost had like a Kylo Ren moment you know how in Force Awakens it's like that lightsaber belongs to me it was that exact vibe and yeah, I just appreciated it. It's obviously, you know, this is a short film, it's 20 minutes, but it really takes you on quite like an epic emotional journey, you know, in terms of the evolution of the relationship between these characters. And yeah, I really appreciated that. 
Yeah, there was a lot about Ocho that reminded me of Kylo. Like some of the lines like, you know I can't turn back now, it's too late, and (laughs) I'm the successor, (laughs) which is obviously very on the nose. Yes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Just well done in a way that still felt like she was her own character. She wasn't like a version of Kylo, but um, just kind of showing, I guess, how the Empire slash dark side adjacent stuff was corrupting her, even when she had it, she was perceived to have good intentions. You know, she kept saying like, I'm doing this for the greater good, doing this for the family. And you don't understand, you know, when she was talking with her dad at the beginning and stuff. Um, yeah, pretty heartbreaking, as you say, because she was the one to initially bring Lop into the family. Yeah. And then, yeah, how she treats her towards the end is just pretty devastating. And it kind of ends on a tragic note, right? Yeah, but it makes me have hope for a future story. I know I've said that about a lot of these stories, but I'm like, you can't just leave it there. Yeah, and I'll also tell you something that will make you smile. So in the behind-the-scenes featurette, the um, creators of this short, they said that they specifically ended it in a way where they want the viewer to have the sense that Lop is going to continue going after Ocho. You know, okay, and trying to like bring her back to reason, basically, you know, yeah. and get her back from the Empire. And I definitely did have that impression, so I feel like they were successful in that regard. Okay. Well, in my mind, she succeeds, and the family's reunited, and it's yeah, happily ever after. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> which is what we all want for them. So yeah, no, it's a really nice, well-told story. And yeah, they do also explicitly address the Jackson thing in that feature at Kirsty. So I think you'd like oh, it. Oh really? Yeah. No, okay. they talk about it, and they. They clearly gave it a lot of thought because they're basically saying that Jackson is like a green rabbit. (laughs) (laughs) So they're saying that they're kind of like linked on the evolutionary chain, basically. But Lop is like a different offshoot, you know, from the same descendant a long time ago. So, yeah, it was quite interesting. (laughs) So funny. It is. (laughs) Because I wondered if like they'd just kind of retroactively make them the same species, but you wouldn't necessarily expect the people at the anime studio to be aware that there was this like rabbit species in in the um comics oh yeah but they were very aware <laughs> they did their research i'm impressed yes. definitely watch and the I just picture want... it. it's delightful <laughs> it was very striking visually as well like especially you know little obviously like that kind of krennic costume with the swishy cape is very yeah striking and stylish the way she cut her hair and had that sharp bob as well it, it worked yeah the classic trope of like cutting off the um, plot to like indicate some sort of like dramatic shift in the character. Um, mm. I, I did like that touch. It was like, no, not the beautiful hair. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I guess you could also compare that to like Padawan brains, braids in a way, you know, like say, do they cut their braids off when they become like knights? Is that right? I'm not sure. I assume so. They, they must do, right? Yeah. So I guess the Jedi Knights definitely don't have Padawan braids. So yeah, that would make sense. So I guess it's like a sign of maturity. And obviously she's not a Jedi or anything, but yeah, it's kind of used as that symbology. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, and I guess if you were being nitpicky, it might be a problem for some people that I don't think the characters were necessarily force sensitive, but they were like using lightsabers, but who really cares? <laughs> oh, I... I don't care. I like that, in fact. Yeah. That, you know, people who... They could still just use them as weapons. Like, why not? There's nothing stopping them picking them up. Yeah. No, it's true. Like, justice for non-force users. <laughs> non-force <laughs> users can use lightsabers too. Hashtag. 
I never really understood why it would take someone with the force <laughs> to use it. Is it just because it's so dangerous you'd need to have like a sense of extra safety? Yeah, so I think like the people who get really precious about that, I think it's nonsense because like in Empire they show Han using it to slice open like the animal thing, you know, and they need to get inside its innards to survive the night. Um, mm. And like Han doesn't have to be force sensitive to like use it to slice <laughs> open an animal's stomach, you know? It's stupid. I guess like obviously being a Jedi would be an advantage if you were like in a battle with someone and you'd have much faster reflexes and whatever. But yeah, I think besides that, it's kind of a bit of a silly like line of delineation. This might be almost blasphemous to admit as a Star Wars fan because it is presented as like this binary in a way, but I don't really buy into the binary of you're either force sensitive or you're not. Mm, yeah. I feel like everyone in the galaxy probably is a little, yeah. and it's just a spectrum. No, I, and I know? think that feels more realistic to me, to be honest. You know, how do you go from like 100 to zero when it comes to something like that? There's <laughs> going to be gradations. The whole, because the way that they talk about the force, and I know we're getting wildly off track here, we'll, we'll get back to it in a minute. It's just like the whole point of it is that it's, something that connects everything in the universe so then it's weird to have this sense of so many characters being distanced from that in a way yeah they've got to be connected in some way yeah no exactly I, I, in a way that's one of the things that i'm excited for about something like the cassian show i'm really hoping they don't feel the pressure to like bring in lots of force users to that you know like show us what all these like regular people are doing you know at that time like because yeah non-force users matter too and they also hopefully have interesting stories to tell about themselves. So, yeah, we'll see how they do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it's great. Any more thoughts on that episode, or should we move on to our final one, Akakiri? I think we're ready to move on. Okay, cool. So, spoiler: we're going to talk about Akakiri, which was produced by Science Saru. Um, and yeah, the first thing to say with this one, which I didn't realise until I watched the behind the scenes making a featurette, so I believe it's the only one that was directed by a woman. Oh, really? Yes. Interesting. Yeah, and obviously, ideally, I would have wanted way more like women and just people who aren't men really, <laughs> um, like working as directors on these things. But at least there's one. Um, but yeah, her name is Young Young. Choi um, and yeah I think she did a really great job because this is one of my favourite episodes of Visions and I know I'm sounding boring and repetitive because I feel like I've done that every time with all these episodes they're all my favourite yeah, I love them all <laughs> um, but yeah it's just really good Like I've, I've seen this as like the bottom rank you know for a lot of people so I've seen other people's rankings of Visions episodes and it's kind of like even though this is one of my favorites i understand where those people are coming from because i was gonna say the same thing yeah i i really like it but i also get why people might not yeah exactly it's like i will 100 percent admit it's quite messy you know and there's parts where like a bit of connective tissue is missing but i feel like this one it just had like a real emotional impact for me you know and ultimately that's what matters to me more than maybe like the finesse and the storytelling uh but yeah Kirsty, you give your impressions of this one I felt like it was a really cool alternate take on Anakin wanting to save Padme. Mm, you know, it yeah. felt like quite, you know, a little what if episode of that um, where he obviously manages to save her and then falls anyway or falls because of that. Yeah. And and almost willingly, you know, it's 100% worth it. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, again, I am hoping for a sequel. All of these stories leave off in places where I'm like, I have to know what happens to that character next. 
just yeah it's very it's tantalizing <laughs> yeah i feel like of all the episodes i had the strongest feeling of that with this one because it just like ends in such an unresolved place and again very very consciously you know but like you literally see the tears and like misa's eyes she's looking out at him you know and he's walking away with his presumably new master and yeah it's kind of like well is he going to be loyal to you know that dark sider now is he really going to stick to that promise he made to save misa like what would happen to misa if he broke the promise you know like I, well i guess like misa's aunt would just have her killed but yeah like, you know that to me is so intriguing and like i know obviously they decided to write the novel about the jewel in the end but I think if it was like given to me, you know, and I was like in charge of like Star Wars publishing, I'd say, no, we need the book about this one, please. <laughs> I want to know what happens to these people. I guess it was also interesting and then it just got me thinking about when bringing someone back to life is a dark side thing versus when it's a light side thing. Yeah. Um, just the ways in which that can be presented and the choices that the characters are making and the reasons for that. They can just be presented in totally different ways that say something very different and almost like opposing. Um, yeah, I had to think about that a bit more because obviously it's a theme across when we had the prequels and the sequels, but to see it here as well with totally different characters kind of divorced from the Skywalkers. Um, I, I feel like I want to know more about how that works in Star Wars and, and what they're trying to say with that philosophy. Yeah, so I feel they did a really good job of muddying the waters with this one in terms of the morality of what's happening because a big theme throughout this whole short is the idea of like predestination and like can you escape destiny basically because mm. from the very beginning Subaki, who's like the Jedi character in this story he's having visions of killing someone you know and this is clearly very like traumatic and horrific to him and you see a flashback conversation to him talking to his Jedi master about or should I go? And the Jedi Master is basically like, no, you really shouldn't. <laughs> Whereas Subaki ultimately just decides to go anyway, you know, because he has this attachment to Misa and wants to help her and kind of like consequences be damned. And then obviously that like stubbornness almost is what leads to the chain of events where he ends up killing her himself. <laughs> um, so he has just this really grand tragedy and Again, I feel like it doesn't really have a clear stance on, you know, what the blame, where the blame lies, you know, whether it is the fact of this attachment, whether it's more the aunt, Mazago, you know, like puppeteering everything, you know, for these, for the sequence of events to happen. Like, and yeah, and I love that ambiguity, you know, and again, I understand why that might be a problem for another viewer, but it kind of really makes me think, you know, and ruminate on it in an interesting way. So yeah, really enjoyed it. Yeah, now you've got me wondering, I, I kind of want to read other people's opinions of this short and what their interpretations of certain things are, because I just hadn't really had the chance to think about that. Like, I'm just kind of reacting to it personally, and obviously I'm discussing it with you, and I know that it was a favourite of yours from the beginning, Yeah. but yeah, I have seen rankings like you of people out there really not connecting with this one for whatever reason and i just kind of i'm curious about that yeah so i very consciously made the choice not to listen to any other podcasts discussing visions because i wanted our opinions to be our opinions you know i didn't want to like absorb what anyone else was saying or perceiving them to be um but yeah now obviously we've finished this series so i feel more free to like go out and listen to other people's see i know like sky talkers have done a really deep dive into visions so i'd be very curious to hear how they interpret it hmm 
I think they did like this one. That <laughs> they didn't like it. They did. Oh, they did. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I was say they didn't know. You're challenging everything I thought I knew about <laughs> Sky Talkers. <laughs> well, that, that was another thing I was going to say. Just like from hearing the initial premise of this, like I knew it was going to be one that we would like because we're always into that kind of tension and conflict around like duties versus like personal intimate love. Yeah. Right? Um, but you you could be into that and still not appreciate how this was executed. Of course. I thought it was beautifully done. Yeah. And this is another one that I did like the dub for because I thought that Henry Golding was so perfect for that character. Oh, he really was. Henry Golding <laughs> is just so dreamy and they really needed like a dreamy like actor to do it. And obviously you're not seeing Henry Golding, but he's still like I a know, cute character voice, design and he's got a beautiful yeah. voice. So yeah, no, it's really good. And yeah, I agree with you. This was the other episode perhaps where I would recommend listening to the English dub because it's really well done. And yeah, you know, it's got some absolute legends in that voice cast. It's like George Takei is like in the voice cast. It's incredible. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I've I've listened to the English and Japanese versions of every one by now, and honestly, I'd recommend doing the same yeah. because they just have subtly they have subtle differences for obvious reasons. So I I just I don't think there's like a something that doesn't work. They're just different. I'd say. Maybe the one that doesn't work the most for me is the Tatooine Rhapsody one. And it's just because of the song. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't quite flow in the same way. And you'd expect that. So, yeah. No, it takes real effort to do a good song. And yeah. <laughs> no no more comment. I'm not going to say anything mean. Um, but yeah, in this episode, what did you think of Masago, the aunt who like takes over like Misa's throne, basically. And she's trying to like overthrow her and get the throne back um very interesting i just i i just think visually as well some of the character designs are just so bold yeah um and and do kind of remind me of i don't know characters from like spirited away or something just so just so visually arresting in a way that like star wars live action maybe can't be and there are certain limitations obviously um yeah what about you yeah no i thought she was like a really striking presence and obviously she's only yeah. in it very briefly but again that's a character i'd love to know more about you know like mm. a sister taking over the throne from like her brother's daughter you know that's like yeah. so interesting i've never come across that before in like any story i can think of off the top of my head to be honest and yeah the fact that she's a sif you know like at what point did this presumably like royal <laughs> princess like go down the path of learning to be a sif you know i have to know more and yeah. again, all this sort of stuff, like there's all these like intriguing questions like inherent in the setup to this story that make me, you know, want to see it expanded in some way. So I, I kind of feel like it's very unlikely with this short in particular for, I don't even know why, to be honest, but yeah, I'm not counting on it basically, but I would love it if it did happen. You never know. I mean, m maybe based on how Ronin as a novel is received, they might start making follow-ups to more of them yeah no i would definitely be keen to see that and yeah hope springs eternal and if not i can always write fan fiction so that's okay <laughs> <laughs> start that stars visions fan fiction train even if you don't create or like read anything else that's out there in transformative fandom just i think it just speaks to the, like the imaginations behind all of these shorts that you can watch them and then just go away and like think about that story as its own little world yeah and and those characters and just imagine where they go afterwards and 
I really needed that from Star Wars, honestly, to like think about these characters in ways where they kind of, I was going to say jump off the page, but it's not a book. But jump you off can the screen. feel, yeah, that you can feel that they live these inner lives somehow separate from us. Yeah. You know, I, I just, I was really impressed by that. No, definitely. And I think that's something we've praised throughout like a lot of these shorts, isn't it? The fact that there is like a lot of, history that comes through like in a really organic way they're not necessarily like on the nose or obvious about it you know it's not like oh back in my day we used to do this and stuff it's just yeah it comes through very subtly in the dialogue in the use of like flashbacks maybe and yeah it's just really well executed and the people feel yeah just vivid and really like striking and memorable in a way that yeah i don't think star wars characters have for me in a long time you know, and mm. yeah, it's just a really, really nice feeling to have that. In a way, I got that same sense of like history and depth from when I did my Animatrix rewatch a few, well, was it last month, the month before? I don't know. A while ago. Sure. Um, I, it just, and it was right after finishing the Matrix trilogy again. So I guess that kind of helped having it fresh in my mind. But you have this sense of it like just spreading out from that known universe and giving you a sense of like all of the possibilities yeah i'm so happy you brought up the animatrix kirsty because i was waiting for like a segue into like <laughs> talking about the animatrix <laughs> i was worried that you were gonna think i'm bringing it up too soon <laughs> no no it's good um yeah so i feel like i've said everything i wanted to say really about akakiri or well, i could keep on going to be honest but yeah i'll leave it there for now because then i can come back and talk about visions again some other day which is good um, yeah, the Animatrix, like, I do feel it's such a natural comparison of this, because I can't really think of another project beyond the Animatrix and Star Wars Visions, where it's basically taking, like, a Western franchise, and Japanese anime studios have been asked to produce a series of, like, short films that, like, tie into that pre-existing universe associated with that franchise. I feel like that's mm. unique you know to the to these two projects so i feel like it is quite natural to discuss them together especially as they are western franchises but obviously have these huge root influences yeah that just that work for that reason 100 um, with creators who are yeah. big nerds for japanese culture <laughs> <laughs> in yeah. both cases um yeah and i really love both i think they're excellent i actually rewatched the animatrix yesterday because i wanted to be able to talk about it and again we're not going to go like super deep we're not going to talk about each short of the animatrix but i did want to make sure we discussed it in relation to visions because yeah it's just hard not to in my opinion you know i think they're so connected on some amorphous spiritual plane that yeah it had to happen <laughs> um but yeah do you have like a favorite short in um, the Animatrix, or at least a few that you could single out as being ones that you particularly like. I don't necessarily expect you to have a single one that you like best. Um, it's hard for me to pick out one. Um, and I, I don't think there's a weak link, honestly. Um, I think maybe my favourites are the one with the runner, mm -hmm. and then the one where she has to go and find her cat. Yes! oh my god the cat but, one i love it so much but honestly it, it's hard because there's others that oh, i don't know that it, it's it's really good guys if you haven't watched the animatrix you should if you like the matrix anyway yeah and I, i'm probably being biased it's hard for me to put myself into the 
feet of someone who hasn't seen the Matrix films. But I honestly feel like even if you dislike anime, but you haven't necessarily watched the film The Matrix, I think you could still really watch and enjoy the Actually, Animatrix. Yeah. It could be a good entry point. Yeah. So it's basically giving you lots of backstory to the Animatrix and just fleshing out the world with like vignettes about characters who don't necessarily appear in the films, although some of them do. And yeah, just like giving you a sense of their experience and how they interact with this world, you know, it's a very high concept world in the Matrix. And there's so many like different corners to it and different aspects to it that the Animatrix can explore in ways that the film simply can't, you know, because they've obviously got different priorities. Um, and yeah, just a, f- a short film like Beyond, which is the one about the girl looking for her cat, I think that's just the most superlative example of what the Animatrix can do because it's so like mundane in so many ways. You know, it's just an ordinary person living in this simulated world in the Matrix and finding a glitch in it basically you know like without even intending to you know she's not looking to find anything wrong with this world she completely takes it at face value she has no idea she's in a simulation but yeah just finding that and experiencing it and finding the beauty you know in that like mistake in this world and this glitch and then there's kind of like this poignancy and sadness when the glitch is removed and like order is reset at the end you know and it's just kind of like melancholy and like reflective and it raises all these interesting philosophical questions and yeah I just love it it's beautiful yeah I guess this has been somewhat watered down in Star Wars because obviously we've got lots of stories now that don't really connect with Luke's story but like Luke Neo is obviously like a chosen one figure and then as you say the Animatrix is following these people who are maybe just ordinary aren't the chosen one and are just trying to live their lives um without suspecting what the matrix is or how it works but it's really interesting to follow their stories and maybe see like how they're still being monitored and controlled and and experiencing the matrix whether they're aware or not yeah it's really cool and it's also very stylistically diverse just like visions is um so yeah there's lots of different types of animation there's even like the first short is like 3d animation so it looks like a video game cutscene basically and there's some (laughs) there's some like dubious like erotic clove removal in that wait is that the first one yeah when i rewatched it that was the last one oh really interesting yeah i wonder if the american version has a different order i watched it on amazon prime oh interesting you know i watched it on the dvd and now, I hate to be like a Matrix purist, but because I believe it was first released on DVD, like, I think that probably reflects the original order, you know? Like, although, again, it might be like a regional thing. So. No, I, you think you're probably right. I mean, it is, it's the cover as well. So I was surprised that it ended up being the last one. And it's been so long since I watched it on DVD, like for the first time, that I just hadn't questioned it. Yeah. But yeah interesting yeah no i have to get you a dvd as well kirsty and send it to you in the post so, like luckily you it see was... them all the time in like the um like cheap dvd shop called um cex here so if, if i find a spare copy i will get one for you if you'd like it it was like reminding me of tomb raider <laughs> <laughs> you know that quality of video game style yeah. that, in that era yeah no it was so funny and yeah just when they started slicing each other's clothes off i was like oh my <laughs> <laughs> I didn't remember this at all. Yeah. Tomb Raider is pretty sexy like that too. Yeah, so. no, it's true. I, I remember that now. and Yeah, I think that blew my tiny mind when I first experienced that. 
Um, and yeah, and I've also got to give a shout out to another story in the Animatrix, which is kind of like the Akikiri equivalent in some ways, which is Matriculated, which is the last one in the version I saw. It's basically the story where like a bunch of humans like capture a machine and they kind of like sync with it in the Matrix, you know, and it's all like sort of like weird psychedelic visuals, you know, and you get the machine's perspective of the humans. Mm. And at the end of the short, kind of like the machine like kind of develops this like weird love for like one of the humans after like they've all been attacked by other machines and it kind of like ends with like a monster movie moment you know where like the machine is trying to like embrace her you know being like oh we can be together and she's like ah <laughs> and then kind of like vanishes I'm, I'm sorry guys this will make no sense if you haven't seen the animatrix um but yeah and i kind of loved that short because it just reminded me of like the old universal monster movies you know which you've been yeah. watching a lot of kirsty you know like yeah very frankenstein yeah exactly like frankenstein creature from the black lagoon all that sort of thing you know where it's like a, a monster but it's kind of like a sympathetic monster and i feel like mm. it's kind of a unique story in the world of the matrix in taking you into the perspective of one of the machines and really creating some sympathy for that machine you know because for the matrix you know it's usually pretty like machines bad they're trying to kill the people and like you get the backstory so you understand why the machines are very adamant about wanting to kill humans from the animatrix but yeah in this particular short it was quite humanizing dare i say of the machine which yeah i appreciate seeing <laughs> yeah very good honestly just thinking about it now it makes me want to watch it again oh awesome because they're they're just all so different you know it's just like visions in that respect yeah exactly and that's just one of the most thrilling things about it because even if you watch one short in the animatrix where you're not super keen you'll probably like the next one or even if you don't like that you'll like the one after so yeah <laughs> it's really good it's like a the best sort of pick and mix um but yeah that was great i'm really glad we had a chance for a quick animatrix discussion um and yeah just to, to bring it back to visions and styles again obviously we've had several styles things on disney plus now so I feel like the main ones have been The Mandalorian, The Bad Batch, The Lego Specials and Visions. So out of all of those, like, would you be able to like pick one that's been like the thing you've most enjoyed or is that too difficult? Oh my god, I don't... Uh, to me it's not difficult, I I... so... I think I would pick Visions. Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah. I would 100% pick Visions. And that's not to demean the other things because like I really did enjoy The Mandalorian for the most part. I obviously have objections, especially to season 2. Um I think I love The Mandalorian for what it could be more than what it is. Sure. <laughs> no. And I really love the soundtrack, so that helps. Yep. That gets a lot, a lot of points. Yeah, or oh, that soundtrack is bliss with The Mandalorian. It's so good. Yeah, and obviously we're always singing the praises of the Lego specials, the best form of Star Wars whenever they come out, there was a highlight. But yeah, just Visions, oh, it's just mwah, mwah, piece de resistance. So yeah, Visions very is good. so good. It really is. Yeah. Please watch um, Visions. God, I hadn't even thought about it all that. I, I wasn't mentally like categorising things as, oh, this is Star Wars on Disney+. Plus. Sure. You know? And to be um, fair, it's kind of like a bullshit comparison in a way, so so radically different. You know, the only thing that Visions has in common with Mandalorian is that they're both Star Wars things. You know, in terms mm. of like tone and genre and style and everything, they're like wildly different. But that's what we want for each thing to have its own identity. And yeah. Yes, they're under the Star Wars umbrella, but like that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have much in common beyond that. I think that that's nice. Yeah. 
no 100% I think that diversity of the shows we've been getting is a very encouraging sign and I really hope they keep that up I think the worst thing that could happen is that everything falls into a certain template or feels a bit samey and so far they've definitely avoided that and I hope they continue to avoid that so it's going to be very important to keeping it sustainable in the long term you know because people aren't going to come back if they keep getting the same thing over and over so yeah it's very important um yeah that's great any final thoughts on visions Kirsty? i don't think so i guess yeah i'm I'm just kind of curious to see what i'll end up making of of ronin once i get around to reading it yeah no i think it will be an interesting discussion like i say it made makes bold choices so yeah i look forward to talking about it with you because yeah i need something to download on i don't have any ronin friends (laughs) that probably won't be the next thing that we discuss though so i hope people don't expect that right away no exactly i will give people spoilers actually but we are going to resurrect our long dormant novelization series (laughs) so our next episode should hopefully be about the phantom menace novelization which i'm genuinely hyped for because i haven't read any of the prequel novels before and I feel like there's so much room to do interesting Wait, have stuff. Wait, have you not read Revenge oh, of the God, Sith? Oh, God, no, no, God, just sorry, ignore me. I have read the Revenge of the Sith novel, sorry. Ignore me, ignore me. I haven't read the novels to The Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones, though. So those will be complete fresh reads for me. And Yeah, same. Yeah, I'm very curious. To see what <clears> I'm like. not sure what to expect because there's so much complexity in Phantom Menace and they could kind of go all in on that and maybe even expand or just completely simplify it and yeah i can't quite can't quite see how it's going to go yeah i'm hoping i finally understand what the trade federation is (laughs) (laughs) don't bet on it (laughs) if it could do that it would be like a mini miracle because yeah it's been a long long time and i still don't know so yeah we'll see um okay but no that's great i really enjoyed that discussion kirsty visions makes me very happy so it was a delight to talk about it with you so thank you yeah, it was really fun. I'm I'm sad that the series is over, but I'm glad that we did kind of stretch it out in that way so that we could revisit them over time. Yeah, no, definitely. I feel it was the right thing to do. My only regret is I feel I could have done the middle three chapters more justice. Re- I really should have prepared for those more. Um, but yeah, I made up for it this time because I definitely prepared to discuss these episodes. And yeah, I feel we were able to do more justice to these. So it was I think good. sometimes it just kind of depends on the week that a discussion falls on. We're going to have more news yeah and less news and last week there was a lot of book news yeah which yeah we just wanted to get through and exactly we got into the yeah. tross weeds which i think <laughs> colored the discussion somewhat so yeah luckily that wasn't around this time so that's very good um okay but great i'm rachel and you can find me on twitter at rachel 1918 i'm kirsty and you can find both of us on twitter at scavengers horde until next time bye bye